0: What is up everyone and welcome into episode 16 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host will be joining us shortly as always is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode we have a ton of stuff to get to including some basic news and we'll also discuss Drew of the Drew's new album featuring Mr. J.P. Bouvet on drums. In our shop talk section, we will talk about kick drum microphone placement, how the placement of the microphone inside or outside the bass drum can really affect the sound you're getting out of your recordings. We'll talk about the great jazz drummer, Mr. Jerry Gibbs, and in our gear review section, we will discuss the difference between the Meinl 21-inch transition ride and the Meinl 20-inch sand ride. We'll also give you our picks of the weeks, as always, so let's get started. And it is time... Well, that's stupid. (laughs) What is up, Mr. Dawson? I'm good. I'm good. I know we're both hectic trying to get
1: out of here. I got to go to PASIC tomorrow and you've got to go over to Europe. So we're what what is it today? Today's Tuesday, I
0: think. We're trying to get this Is it done. really? Like this is getting earlier and earlier every week. <laughs> yeah, we're going to lap ourselves, I think. I know. Uh, so when, when do you fly out? Do you fly out tomorrow?
1: Yeah, tomorrow afternoon we get in. I get in like Wednesday, six o'clock-ish. So I've got to try to set up the booth real quick and then we're there Thursday, Friday, Saturday and fly back on Sunday.
0: And then do you get a chance to go around and see the clinicians, or do you have to stay at the booth the whole time? Uh, in years past, I was the the reporter, so I would check out all of them.
1: But this year, I'm going to be in the booth. Uh, you know, we're we're going to be offering subscriptions, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I'll be in there most of the time. We've got Miguel Roy who's going to be covering all the clinics for us and doing some filming. So I'm going to try to sneak into a few of them. We're also interviewing a lot of the artists, and a lot of these guys are my friends, so I want to at least – Sure. Get over to the to the clinic and say hello, But it's so crazy. I, it's almost impossible to expect people to stop by our booth because they've all got their commitments and stuff. So I have a cool little sign that says, "I'll be back shortly." So I'll probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very inventive sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll be dipping yeah. out every hour for a couple of minutes just to say what's
0: up. It's an awesome lineup this year, too, man. Yeah, it's um, pretty diverse. I'm kind of I'm yeah. Excited. That's I was going to say they they really it seemed like they attacked like the hipness, you know. Bringing in Garska and Annika, you know, um, I mean, I, I was looking at the lineup today and I was like, holy crap, that's just an amazing yeah. lineup, you know. Mark Juliana. Yeah, Mark. Exactly. Yeah, yes, that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Um, I'm excited to see how it all goes. And then, uh, so this will be the first year they're live streaming it. Is that on PAS's website? Yeah, it is. assuming? And it's, it's, okay. it's paid. I'm not sure what it is. got
1: to pay a fee and they're not it's streaming. paid? Okay. Yeah, it's a paid for thing. I didn't know that. And they're not streaming every clinic. It
0: doesn't look like so. It's it seems like it's about maybe seventy five percent. Hmm. That's cool. I I'm I'm excited to see as somebody that has been doing live streaming for a while. I'm excited to see how they do it and kind of you know what they're using to make this happen. You know, I mean, it's not quite as simple as like, well, let's just spend a bunch of money. I mean, the higher the quality that you stream in, the the fewer people can watch it, and the lower quality you stream in the more annoying it is to watch. And right. so it it, t- it took us, you know, we're on year seven of doing our live streaming uh, daily lessons. And it took us probably about four years to find a good balance of, okay, what can the general public accept on their computer and through their Internet connection but that also doesn't degrade the quality of the education, you know?
1: Yeah, and what so, about
0: uh, like
1: – do you ever have anyone that demands a refund if something <laughs> collapses? I mean, that's what I'm worried about for them. If
0: What if it just shuts you, down? What, how do you yeah, see, I mean, see, the thing for us is since it's not a one-time event, we can always make up for it. So I, I'll say we're on lesson today. We are doing, uh, f- let's see, rudimental warm-ups with flams is today's lesson. It's lesson 1,148. So out of, you know, over 1100 lessons and we do you know we used to do four broadcasts a day so we've probably done about five or six thousand live broadcasts now and i would say we've probably had about 15 to 20 times that there was like critical failure where the, the the broadcast actually just stopped you know it could be something where we had a power outage or the internet went down or or just a computer glitch so when that happens the thing that we have is we send everyone an email and a, and a heads up on facebook like hey we'll redo this at 6 p.m tonight sorry about that Um, so we can always make up for it, but if you fail, like during the middle of Matt Garska's solo, you can't be like, Matt, would you mind like picking it (laughs) back up at bar 48? (laughs) Like it's like, sorry. And yeah, then I, if it was a one-time event, like a pay-per-view boxing match and you know, somebody gets knocked out in three seconds, there's going to be demands for refunds. So we'll see. I mean, it's a, it's a sketchy proposition. And the other thing too is, you know, it's very easy to get download speed, anywhere these days you can get you know 50 megs down at at like a hotel shared wi-fi but you don't need that to stream you need upload speed and that is very hard to get and you need usually about three times the amount of upload speed than what you're using so if you're sending out a two megabit stream you're going to need about six megabits up which is actually a that's a pretty substantial upload speed and so what my thought is where are they getting that from because i would assume where, whatever convention center they're using is got a, a you know, is they're using their Wi Fi, which is shared, and it's yeah. so it could be sketchy. We'll see what happens. Um,
1: yeah, well, I'm aside from that, I'm just excited to go down and get some nice barbecue in Texas.
0: Oh man, yes, that'll be awesome, man. That'll be very cool, very nice indeed. Well. You'll be there. I'll be in Europe, and yeah. and we'll be trying to plan somehow or some way to do this podcast while I'm in Europe. So that should be should be exciting. Yeah, maybe you should bring your translator. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Hey, you know, I, I felt
1: like we should. Uh, I wanted to talk about the the ghost note discussion that we've been having since the last. Oh podcast. yeah,
0: the, the controversy. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I
1: I, <laughs> I need to go back and. Uh, like redact a, a, an album that I that I said I was originally listening to. I think I mentioned The Cult as a an album that I remember listening to with a lot of ghost notes. I went back and listened to that thing and there's not a single ghost note on that entire <laughs> record. It's awesome. It's a Bob Rock production. It is Mickey Curry oh, on cool. drums and it's okay. still a little bit, you know, it's not quite glam rock or or hair metal, but I mean, yeah, there's definitely – the snare is gated and reverbed and there's – And I it's just – I mean, he probably accents. played ghost notes everywhere, but you don't hear it. But they were gated out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I got to apologize if anyone who went back. I mean, my memory was, was uh, lying to me about that one. It's still a good song and Mickey Kerr is a great drummer, but that was not a good ghost note suggestion.
0: <laughs> That's so funny that there's just a bunch of people out there expecting a Tower of Power album and they're like, "Yeah, I just I'm not really getting the texture I was looking for out of Mike's recommendation." <laughs> yeah, not quite. So yeah, and then we have to uh so yeah, we've had a, you
1: know, there's been one vocal follower who's who's saying that our our definition of ghost note is incorrect. So I just want to talk about it a little bit here because I did – I do follow up. Whenever anyone complains on our Facebook page or sends us an email, I do follow up on it. It doesn't just go unnoticed. So he was suggesting that we are calling ghost notes incorrectly and they should be called grace notes. But looking it up in the musical dictionary, a grace note is an embellishment of a primary note. So you you can't have a soft note be a grace note without a note to follow it. Whereas like a grace note and a flam. So you've got a small note and then a big note. The grace note is the small note. When you've got a rough, you've got two or three small notes that embellish the primary note. So to say that what we think of a ghost note, which is just light texture that goes in between hi-hat notes or whatever, to call them grace notes, I don't think in any definition that can be accurate. And then uh, as far as what a ghost note is – this this listener was saying that a ghost note is actually something that you don't you you make the motion that you're going to hit the drum but you don't actually hit it. Uh, I could not find any ver- verification of that definition. I do know that that's called a ghost stroke, which is primarily a visual thing in like rudimental right. drumming. You you air drum some parts so it looks you know you see it but you don't hear it. Sure. Um, so I don't I don't know how I can how I can support his claim of that and a ghost note is also used in, in many other instruments and drumming actually probably borrowed it from stringed instruments and wind instruments because you can, a bass player can play ghost notes by muting the strings with his left hand and still plucking with his right hand. So they're soft there's no discernible pitch they create a rhythmic texture from my mind, that's exactly what a ghost mm. note in drumming is. It's a soft note. There's no defined – it's no. It's not playing a, a significant rhythmic role, and it's just adding texture. And wind instruments, they can they can mute a note to kind of go between. If you listen to Clifford Brown playing trumpet, you'll hear a lot of these notes that don't have any pitch, but they're supplying a rhythm. They're called ghost notes.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I think I learned about grace notes um, – from piano class you know it was like like exactly like you said it was a it was a quiet note it was like flaming like you know a main note on piano Um, but you know the other thing though is it's always helpful for any of you guys that really disagree with anything we say if you if you refer to us as two idiots it really helps (laughs) um, like get our attention you know so that's that's the way to really just kind of keep everything positive and keep it a good flow like hey morons (laughs) this is what I think so yeah, I mean, in it reality, it doesn't matter what you call us.
1: I mean, first of all, if you no. use any kind of profanity or insults on any of our our websites, it'll be removed. So there's no point. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to have a discussion, just say, "Hey, I think you might be defining that term incorrectly. Here's what I know it as." And trust me, I will go to whatever length I can to research it and try to find proof. We had the same issue with the term "rough" versus "drag." And I just – I I did as much research as I could and it was inconclusive that you could say one was one and not the other. There's no right. absolute definition for any of these things because dr- the drum set terminology is all borrowed from uh, the other worlds.
0: Yeah. We, we we came in a little late to this game. Yeah, exactly. So, Music theory existed way before we did. Yeah. So
1: if you want to get our attention,
0: call us idiots but then realize that you will be either <laughs> deleted or banned
1: from our <laughs> website.
0: <laughs> Now, the other thing is, in other walks of life, please feel free to refer to Mike and myself as idiots. But, but on this one, at least just give us a chance. Like, we've been doing this for a while. Oh, um, man. So, real quick, back to the basic thing. I was reading in the December issue of MD that I can never say his last name. Donnie Grunlander? Grinler. Okay. You say it. Him... So he's now in charge of something with PASIC, or 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 he got added to a part of a staff. Um, yeah, yeah, they have a uh, a drumstick committee
1: and it's okay. it's a rotating. I I've, I've never been on it. I think it might be 5 years or 6 years. So it's a rotating okay. committee so then they are always you know aging out and bringing in new people. So this year he was got added. It. I believe David Stanick was also added. Yep, David, Mark Powers. Yeah, so so they're all um you'll know, be new. So they have every there's like one morning at PASIC they bring the committee together. They kind of discuss everything about the drum set side of PAS who who they think should be on the next show, uh
0: what they should do differently. I gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, so that's Don- cool. Donnie's Donnie's a great guy, man. He's he's a super cool guy.
1: Yeah, and he's he's over there at MI. He's heading up Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I just I just got to hang out with him the last time I was there and He's a he's a very busy dude, so we we spent a, a small amount of time together. But I'm actually going to be going back to MI in January for an open house. Um, to literally sit in like a kind of a student slash parent because I want to know more about that school. I want to like I have so many students that are asking me. You know, we're here in California, so they say, "Hey, I want to go to MI. What's the audition process like?" I'm like, I have no idea. And like, mm-hmm. what's what's the cost? I don't know what what degrees do they offer I'm like I don't know so I'm like you know what I'm just going to go to an open house and I'll just drive down there and sit through the entire you know day of presentation and learn more about the school so that between that and what I know about Berkeley and what I know about Drummer's Collective and you know William Patterson I can make better recommendations to my students when they're getting in, getting into that 17 to 18 year old world and they're thinking about really Doing this, I want to make sure that I'm giving them proper advice. So yeah, yeah, cool. So hopefully, I'll get to see him there again. By the way, uh, speaking of people that went to Berklee School of Music, JP Bouvet has a new album out with his band, uh, one of his many bands, Drew of the Drew. The album is called "What Does It Do?" and it is awesome. Um, this, I'm not saying this because I'm just a fan of you know JP, or he's one of my closest friends. I'm saying this because. It really is. I love when bands are able to take a step forward. And Drew of the Drews' first album, Drew is a bass player, by the way, um, and it's his group. But it's it's got you know uh, two drummers, uh, oh, so cool. uh, JP and Ian are playing drums, and then uh, female guitar player, female lead vocalist, and then Drew's playing bass. And Green was an incredible album, um, and it was. Just like anybody's you know first album, it was just incredible and very adventurous. This album is really like honestly kind of groundbreaking, so I really hope you guys will check it out and by the way, I was going to say this last week about Ghost Notes uh, album with with Sput. just when it comes to things that people put, I mean everything they have into it, I mean everything like they put their personal finances on the line for this, just buy the music it I promise the listening experience when you buy music is much different than when you just spotify it or you just download it for free somewhere because you just you take pride in it and you want to get value out of it. You want to listen to the same song 20 times cuz you paid for it. So, you know, I'm not here to make a big speech on that kind of stuff, but I am telling you this. Drew, their entire band has stayed at my house before and I still went to iTunes. I bought the album. I didn't put in a call and ask for a download like I wanted to own it, and, and I was shocked. It, it's so, so good. I shouldn't be shocked because I know the guys, but it's really good. So definitely check it out. It's uh, JP Bouvet on drums. and uh, What's the yesterday. style? You know what? How about this? I'm just going to make an assumption that JP will be okay with it and Drew will be okay with it. Let's just listen to a little clip of it. and uh, I won't do it live right now, but okay. we'll plug it in. Um, I would say stylistically it's almost like Fun Fusion. So, you have some of the best musicians in the world literally having a party while recording. Wow. Um, Cool. There's a lot of mix of dubstep, um, but it's all, like I said, it's two drummers, uh, Ian and JP. So, they are just having the time of their lives. And it's really cool. Like, you might have something where there's like a, you're getting ready for the dubstep drop. So, there's, you know, that kind of 16th note snare crescendo happening where the drummer would have to stop playing his ostinato on the hi hat to make that happen. Well, now jp can play the hi-hat while ian builds the snare um Sweet. and they do live shows so and it's really cool like when you're listening you're like this must all be sampled and then you realize no the, they really recorded this and they are doing a show you know in boston tomorrow night or whatever so Sweet. pretty cool stuff so yeah what does it do by drew of the drew what's going on
1: what I you Turn the heat on
0: all right, now it's time to head into some shop talk, and uh, today we're going to be discussing kick drum microphone positioning. So I would say as far as the kick mic itself, we are in a really, really lucky world as far as a, a high-quality kick drum microphone is really going to cost you around two hundred dollars. Now you can get you can get a much better microphone. You can go crazy if you want, but if you just want a nice kick drum microphone, I am thinking like the Shure Beta fifty two or the Audix D six. You are looking at about one hundred ninety nine dollars, and they are really good. And they're they're kind of pre EQ'd. You put them in the bass drum, and they sound great. But what really determines a lot of the tone and especially the attack is where do you put the microphone? So, so Mike, what what is your kind of view on this stuff? Uh well, first of all,
1: it's all about experimenting. Um Absolutely. When I first got my studio set up, I only had one microphone for the bass drum and it was a it was a beta fifty two. Mm-hmm. So I just messed around with every possible option, micing it from the batter head, micing it from the front head, micing it inside the drum. And for most situations it ended up being the, that I needed the most kind of punch and attack out of that one mic that I could get. Um so I would just basically put the microphone almost, I mean it's f- with one of those little short boom arm stands, yep. it would be fully extended and I would have the bass up to the hoop and the mic would be all the way in the hole. So it would be you know, pretty much at the batter head. Um, and I, sometimes I would aim it at, at the beater spot, but usually I just put it straight in the hole and just all the way toward. It. And that gave me enough attack so I didn't have to EQ it so much with all the high end. But the microphone still captured enough low end as well. So that's That'd be like my if you want a contemporary modern bass drum sound, do that. And then as you bring it out, you get more tone. And, and I've found that that's when muffling and tuning become really crucial. So if you go all the way in, you're getting yeah. you're getting all yeah. punch, all attack. You can you can basically tune the drum just decent and it'll sound good. But as soon as you start getting right. it towards that front head, you're going to be picking up more resonance, and it's going to start sounding wonky if you're not yep. careful. You're probably going to have to pat it down a little bit more. I tend, I've tried the halfway in the hole technique that a lot of guys use, but. Right. The, the club, the club miking technique. Yeah. It just ends up causing more, more trouble than it's worth. Totally. You you can start hearing the, like if you, if you don't have something on the the hole, like a, like a, or if you do have something on the hole, you're going to hear that. You're
0: going to hear flapping.
1: (laughs) If you have like a kick port, you're going to, you're going to hear the
0: kick port kind of moving a little bit. Or if. Or if you cut the head yourself. There's so much air coming out that you're hearing the air hit the microphone.
1: Yeah. I just don't
0: dig that spot. No, it's weird. And I always like when... So one of the things we do at camp is on our last day, we do a ton of mic A-Bing. So it's like, okay, let's run through all the overheads I have and listen to the difference between them. And then let's run through the kick mic positions. and. They always are like, how come you don't do the normal one? And I'm like, because the normal one is done by guys in like really small clubs that didn't go to engin- you know school yeah. for audio engineering. Like it's some myth that they saw on an MTV video and everyone's always done it. But when you put the mic right on the port, that port is focusing all of the air that is coming out. And there's this huge puff of air that yeah. nails your microphone and creates fake low end And the thing is, I can't do anything about it. Once it's there, you've recorded the air hitting the microphone. So that fake low end that's happening, that woofiness, I can't really do much with it. Where if I had the mic where you had it, I can just add some 60 hertz and bring in some low end through EQ. But at least I don't, I don't have anything in the way. So I'm not a huge fan of that position. Really, for me, it's either... I do the same thing as you. I have the boom mic stand and um, the bass drum mic goes all the way inside the kick and I've got it really... I have a 14 inch deep kick so not a very deep kick at all and it goes right at the halfway point of the kick drum as far as the depth. So if I had like the Kelly Shoe mic system, that's where I would put it. So I either have that or if I want to really get rid of all of the attack, then I just aim that same bass drum microphone. At the rezzo head, right at the middle of the head, about you know four to six inches away, and then that just gives me the warmest kind of Steve Jordan non attack sound I can get. Yeah, you know? that's what I use whenever I have a bass drum with no uh, no hole in the head.
1: Sure, I just I, I use the finger technique, so it's three finger widths from the center of the head, and then I offset the mic by like maybe an inch and a half. So you're not getting because okay. the dead center of the head is a nodal point. Okay. So if you move it a little bit off-center, you're going to get more a little bit more uh, low frequency out of it. And I go close to the awesome, head just, just to control bleed. But ideally, yeah. the trick that I actually just learned was you should have someone else hit the drum and then kind of put your hand in front of the head and feel where you're feeling the most movement in the air. Okay. And then, okay. then put the mic like there. It usually ends up being like an inch or two off-center. Gotcha. That's been gotcha. working. I have that on my uh, I have an old uh, Ludwig 20-inch kick setup now with the original heads on it and no no uh no No hole and that's perfect just off center of the head
0: yeah no but you're right too about bleed so if you guys are out there doing gigs you know having your bass drum microphone inside the bass drum is a great idea because it you know one it's it helps the bleed and then two it helps with like your singer guitar player bass player running by and knocking over your mic and then ripping the head and you know, so I, I I'm I'm totally a fan of that. Or, or like I said, if I'm here by myself, I don't have to worry about bleed, and I just want that nice warm vintage sound, then I I, I put it outside the head. The other thing, guys, too, is even if you don't want to do muffling, you should definitely put something like maybe even just a T-shirt at the bottom of your bass drum to break up the sound a little bit because that's if you've ever kind of just had your bass drum wide open and it sounded great to you and then you recorded it and you got this weird kind of racket ball hitting uh yeah. you boing. know a racket yep. sound that poom yep. that's exactly what's happening is that you don't have anything to break up the sound. And so by just putting a simple t shirt in the bottom or something, you know, and not having it folded perfect, it'll break it up enough to get rid of that weird kind of I don't even know what that sound would be called, but I can't stand it. You called yeah. it wonky. It's, yeah, it's it's wonky, boingy.
1: It's, it's yeah, boingy. There it's we definitely go. Definitely reflections bouncing up and down. Especially if you have a if the inside of your drum is really like varnished. Right. Forget about
0: yeah. it. <laughs> Forget about <laughs> it. Yeah, I remember when uh, DW first did that. Uh, they started lacquering the insides, and I was like, "That looks good." And then I I uh, I hit. It. I had like a birch one, and it, it had a lot of that. And I was yeah. like, Whoa. And it, it, like I said, it, it, it the the drum set sounded fantastic. It just took one t shirt in the bottom of the head. You know and then usually I mean right now we're in kind of like a dead zone for drums, like it's not the big bottom sound that's like hip right now, so most people are having like a full towel or even like a you know or even like an actual drum pillow in there so yeah my my go to is to use the remo those tube things, those sausage things yep. whatever they're called
1: yep. I use two of those a, a full size one on the batter head, and I use like the eighteen inch size one on the resin head, and then Done. i'll and then I'll still put like a towel in the center.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, something to break it up just really works. I mean, I think the the biggest thing that you know we're trying to get across here is you guys have to experiment. And there is no better or worse when it comes to mic position. There's knowing what it does. So that way, what I'm saying is if I'm recording and my bass drum isn't cutting enough, I know that I need to put my bass drum mic closer to my batter head. And if my bass drum is giving me way too much attack, I start backing that bass drum mic off all the way till i get outside the head and then that's going to give me my warmest sound so none are better or worse they're all correct you just have to know what they do so that you can change to get the sound you're looking for
1: okay so let's talk about quintuplets um bill bachman the rudimental drumming expert uh who's been writing for us for years at this point has a book out with us called stick technique that i highly recommend to everybody it's a good like if you already have stick control and maybe even accents and rebounds and maybe maybe you've gotten master studies, but you need you need that like contemporary rudimental technique style. Uh, his book has all that. It covers all the techniques, the molar, all that, all the variations that that JoJo Mayer discusses in his DVDs. So I'm pretty proud of it. I know he's proud of it. Uh, it's one of our our more popular books. So it's called Stick Technique. So anyway, in this article, he talks about using quintuplets as a subdivision um, for developing techniques. So he, he's adding accents um, to all the different partials of the quintuplet uh, in, in two different ways, either either as separate, you know, two accents shifted all around or just compound. So he's adding an accent each time. Um, and Then he has a little excerpt at the end where he's combining – You know, eighth notes, quarter notes, quintuplets, triplets. Uh, And I have to point out if anyone has looked at the magazine and they are confused on page 75, the last line, for some reason, the sixes over the sextuplets did not print. So you have little squares. The little squares. So, I mean, we're hoping that most people can look and see, okay, there's six notes. So that must be sextuplets. But our apologies. (laughs) That was that was a mistake and somewhere in a conversion from digital to
0: print. Um, so, just draw in some sixes. Those are all, all those boxes equal six. Well, maybe if you would have written that they were sexy tuplets, then everything would have been fine. <laughs> get... Well, dude, I mean, so when it comes to quintuplets, you know, first of all, people need to understand that the re- they're not hard. Like, it's so funny to me when people are like, yeah, quintuplets are really hard. And I'm like, well, but you can play 16th note triplets and 32nd notes. And that's more notes per pulse than quintuplets. So, I think that's incorrect. Quintuplets are not hard. They're unfamiliar. Yeah, And exactly. if you started your drumming journey with quarter notes, eighth note triplets, quintuplets, and septuplets, then things like 16th notes and 16th note triplets and 32nd notes would be extremely unfamiliar to you as well. So really what's happening is you, you skipped a step. You went quarter notes, eighth notes, eighth note triplets, 16th notes, skip a step, 16th note triplets, skip another step. And 30 second notes. Yeah. So the quintuplets and the septuplets just seem a little weird, but really you just have to understand there's simple mathematics behind this. It is a five to one ratio. Every time you hear a pulse, you have five notes. So when you have a pulse going on, all you have to do, uh, for me, I just put the syllable ga at the end of sixteenth notes. One e and da ga two, e and da, ga three, e and da, ga four, e enda, ga. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one. And by doing that, the more you do that and the more that you're just kind of tapping on your lap and getting used to groups of fives, landing on the poles, they they won't become so foreign to you. So just kind of make sure that when you tell yourself, man, these are really hard, it's like they're not hard, they're unfamiliar. So make them familiar. Start to practice them more. I also think it's really cool that quintuplets, I think it's the first subdivision that has made become a trend via social media due to uh, maybe Annika – you know she she does a lot of clinics on quintuplets and and she's always posting like working on quintuplet groups. Yeah. But I've never yeah. seen a subdivision become a trend before. People cool. are asking me like, hey, can you teach me some quintuplet stuff? And I'm like, really? Like that's coming up in your gigging life a lot lately? Or that, yeah, I'm that's like what wow, I was it's a say. Trend. Like, like that's that's <laughs> cool. But if you're not
1: playing like Vinnie Colaiuta's gigs, there's really like, not much of a. That's why it's skipped and exactly. And basic pedagogy, because it just doesn 't i mean if you 're playing drumline that they they 've that 's been used for for decades at this point, but sure uh in most pop music i mean you 're just not going come across it. It is fun, I do like the way that it it feels kind of it feels like sixteenths, it feels like sex but it 's not either right it 's kind of neat um,
0: yeah so, it's just yeah. I just think it 's funny that like it can actually take on a trend and it 's like. I have to ask my students, okay, well, you tell me why you need to do this, and I will be happy to, you know, focus some lessons on it. Um, Because we do, it's part of our, you know, subdivisional warm-up at camps and everything, and and I teach them how to count it, because they come in and they want to do the kind of the David Letterman, David Letterman, Hippopotamus, University, that type of thing. And my Mm -hmm. only issue with that as an educator is, after five Hippopotamuses, you don't know where you are in time anymore. So, I need to give you a number so that if I had you do two bars of quintuplets and then stop on the downbeat of three, you would know where you are. But if you did David Letterman, David Letterman, Dave, you're already lost. Yeah. So if you just attach "guh" to your current sixteenth notes, just one e to two e to go three e to ga four e to ga one e to ga two e to go three, you know where you are. So, um, but yeah, I do. I do. It's kind of one of those things where I'm like, well, I use it a, a little bit because of the fact that I'm playing by myself you know I'm a drum set clinician so and I like to use things that are phrased in fives I like to use them in eighth note triplets and 16th notes and then I for a brief moment in time we'll move them into quintuplets so they're landing on the downbeat people can relax a little bit and it gives me a little bit of <clears throat> place to go with them but It's pretty rare that I think like now I'm going to rip in quintuplets like that just, you know, doesn't really show up in my day to day life. And so um, but it it has been cool just to see that even, you know, we saw a pocket and groove trend because of the John Mayer trio and because of Steve Jordan and people were acting like he just showed up on the scene. Right. Um, And then to see something like quintuplets have like a little bit of, you know, kind of trend has been really kind of cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I spent some time in college trying to make it. It was kind of what you were saying. I wanted to become fluent so it just kind of would pop out of me naturally. And it probably still yeah. does if I'm, I'm playing a solo in a, in a certain style, jazz or, or fusion-ish. Uh, but in most cases, I also I also found that my focus on things like fives and sevens it, in some way hurt me because I wasn't completely solid with my basic subdivisions. You know, I got mm-hmm. so into like trying to find difficult stuff to practice that what i didn't realize was i can't i actually can't play triplets with the click note on the off with the click on the offbeat. right you know my right, control right. of of basic subdivisions wasn't good enough so i'm yeah. i'm not saying don't study this stuff because it's fun and you should always just have fun and try to find new things and and push the envelope but don't jump to quintuplets just because you want to sound hip if you can't play Totally. 16th notes
0: you sure's hip stuff you can do with eighth notes you know? well see that's the thing is I I get so much more use out of the grouping of five than I do quintuplets I constantly use fives I just use them in 16th notes or eighth notes or even eighth note triplets I use that I mean that's like one of the core things that I'm doing I have this stuff that I would consider like my my buying time on the drum set so if I'm playing a solo sometimes I have to think like where am I going to go next and while I'm thinking since I'm all by myself I don't get to stop playing so fives and sevens are you know buying me time they're interesting enough for the audience to pay attention to but they're easy enough that I can think while doing them but I'm not playing them as quintuplets and septuplets I'm playing them as 16th notes so I think the group of five is much more practical to most musicians than the quintuplet itself but it is good to know your subdivisions it just broadens your rhythmic horizons, which is always a good thing. Yeah, and really I mean the point of the article is to get you comfortable with the subdivision, but it's
1: more importantly, it's it's still focusing on just basic techniques. It's all hand technique. He's totally. talking about how to combine downstrokes, tap strokes, upstrokes, strokes uh, in in a
0: systematic way using the five as your subdivision. Right. Right. Awesome, man. Well let's move into one of your uh featured guys. He uh got a nice big spread in the December issue, and that would be Jerry Gibbs. Now, I know very little about this man. All I know is I read his article that you guys did, and then I checked out uh, his a, a couple of his groups on iTunes. And first of all, I have to say that, like, what is it, the Thrasher Trio? or um, Thrasher Dream Trio. Yeah, the Thrasher Dream Trio. Like, that's kind of a dope group. Like he's got Ron Carter on bass, Kenny Barron on piano. And then like having people like Roy Hargrove sit in, I was like, Whoa. Okay. I mean that immediately got my attention. And so I was kind of blown away by that. And when I listened to it, um, I started off with, um, the, I think it's called we're back. Uh, it's the second album. Yeah. And I started off there and, it was it was really cool. It's a great mix of like kind of fusiony, pockety stuff with a lot of straight ahead swing feel. And then I went to the one that you guys talk about in the article, which is uh, his newest uh, elevator music album. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was still it was really cool uh, to, to check out. But the the thing that blew me away the most was actually in the article or in the magazine. So I listened to him first, and then I went and read everything. Seeing his drum set, I was like, that can't be the drum set of the dude I just heard. <laughs> He's got, like, a full Neil Pert kit. Like, I was like, what? There's no way that's... I mean, it's a full, like, it's, it's a very cool, jazzy setup, but it's, it's a pretty big kit, man. Yeah,
1: I mean, it rivals, like, Antonio Sanchez for the number of cymbals in one setup.
0: Yeah. Sure.
1: But, I mean, re- you read the story, I mean, that's not his typical setup. Uh, he, he did this record in the studio live with an audience... And because every track stylistically was so different because he's doing like Burt Baccarat songs and things like that and Mancini tracks, he, he just needed all these these palettes as options. Uh, gotcha. So, so it's not – you won't see him at, at, at the Village Vanguard with, with this kid. <laughs> OK. OK. <laughs> and I think he even <laughs> says in the interview that there's, there's some stuff that he didn't even touch. Like the second snare drum, he, he had it there because it's detuned for that type of sound. But he never even used it because it didn't need it. It didn't go there but it. it is pretty it's a
0: pretty crazy setup <laughs> now have you, have you met him before
1: yeah yeah he's uh he's been he was actually at the office uh a couple of weeks ago to pick up some magazines and hang out but yeah i met him a few years back i don't remember who uh, introduced us uh, we did a story on him a while ago and i don't know you remember terry gibbs the vibraphonist was, uh just the name yeah so he was i mean yeah you wouldn't probably never met him but he he was like in He and Mel Lewis had a big band back in the day. So, I mean, Terry is is huge on that kind of post-bebop era. Uh, So that's his father.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So
1: Jerry got to know, I mean, just by association. He was at a very young age. He was rubbing, you know, he was hanging out with Woody Shaw and Alice Coltrane and all these people just because he was just in the jazz world by association with his dad. So, that's kind of where that all started, but yeah, you're right. It's a cool mix. I mean, he's a, he's of the age where, like, he probably only listened to jazz because it was in his family. Like the music of his youth is is P funk and and that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. So he's jazz by association, and that's just the music of his his heart and soul. Which for you and I would probably be the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, because that's what our parents listen to. Right. So he he's he's a cool mix of able to. I mean, he's a true true jazz historian he knows it all but he also has an appreciation for contemporary R&B and hip hop and rock and roll and stuff so he that's combines it so cool, and, and he's also an amazing drummer he, I I'd probably had like four or five of his albums just into my iTunes years ago and I always just have it on shuffle so every time his stuff comes on it's just I don't even know what it is but it just comes on and my ear just <laughs> turns and says wow that's great that guy's killing it on the drums and the music sounds cool
0: Every single time. Who is it? And it's always him.
1: And it's almost always him. Real clear and articulate, but really good taste
0: as well. That's awesome. Now, is he one of those cats that, I mean, you know, I've been playing drums my whole life. I've been reading Modern Drummer forever, and I've never heard of him. So is he somebody that's just such a working drummer? He's not out there trying to promote himself or get a big drum name? Or is it just that, you know, I I mean, it sounds, I mean, from reading the article, you know, the dude's been gigging his whole life. It seems like so, um, or is or since I'm not overly hip to the jazz scene, is he is he well known in the jazz scene? You know, I had to admit, he's a bit of an enigma that we, okay. we're not quite sure.
1: Uh, I mean, he's been playing and, and touring and, and stuff his whole life. I think it, he's it's since he's become a leader that he's gotten a little bit more attention. Got it. Um, I don't know that he's shown up. I mean, it's, the jazz world's weird because if you don't show up on like a marquee name only like if you're not playing on Wayne Shorter's records you're not playing on Chick Korea's records it's hard to kind of become somebody
0: right so
1: I I don't know that his discography includes too many of those names except for the ones that he put out on with his own band that include Ron Carter and right like that so I think it's since he's become a leader he's kind of gained a little bit more notoriety that's Uh, cool yeah that sonar
0: kit is gorgeous too man
1: yeah and look at that bass drum mic that's that's kind
0: of the perfect spot exactly so yeah, if you guys want to know how to perfectly mic your bass drum, all you got to do is go to page sixty-six in the December <laughs> issue of Modern Drummer magazine, um, and that, he's he's a, you know what? I didn't notice he was rocking jean shorts. That's yeah, next level. Exactly that's, with the with the blazer. Yeah, that's next level right there. But no, that kit is gorgeous. Now do you know is he a Sonar artist or does he just is he one of those cats that just owns a million drum kits? Yeah, I don't I don't think he has any affiliation. I could be wrong, but I don't think he has any affiliation. That's awesome, man. Very cool. Well, definitely, guys, check out the uh, Thrasher Dream Trio and uh, start at the first album, go to the second album and the third, because the third is a real departure. Uh, that's when I was telling you, like, he's literally just doing kind of elevator music, but it's not in a funny way. Like, he's taking it serious. It's It sounds fantastic, but. The second album was the one that really kind of made me go like, oh, wow, this is like some serious, serious stuff. So it's really cool stuff. So check out Jerry Gibbs. All right, it's time to get to some gear review. Everybody's favorite time to listen to things. And in this uh, section, I wanted to do something. It wasn't in um, Modern Drummer, but I know that Modern Drummer has reviewed both of these symbols, But I get asked about it a lot, and it's obviously a personal thing to me because people are always asking me, Hey, I'm thinking about getting a new ride. I want to make the move to Minel or whatever, or get a Minel in my setup. Should I get your transition ride or Benny's sand ride? Um, And that's, it's, it's one of those things where I have to be very, very politically correct or very, I guess, just more than anything, just honest. Because, you know, if I recommend my ride symbol for the wrong situation, it's going to come back to me. You're going to be upset with me that it's like, hey, this this ride isn't doing what it needed. So you can't get a ride, you know, especially a professional level ride. Well, they're so expensive, whether it's Zildjian, Sabian, Pisces, Minel, it doesn't matter. They're so expensive. You can't get one based off of my favorite drummer plays this. It has to really fit what you're trying to do. And the sand ride uh, and the transition ride are... You know, they're made out of the same material. They're both B20 bronze cymbals, but they are very different in sound. Now, have you actually reviewed both of these, or have you just reviewed the Sand Ride? I don't know why, but I've never played your ride cymbal. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I,
1: I've never sent it to review, at least not to me, and I don't think I've hit it. Maybe yeah, I don't it, know. It, but you can't tell it, Nam. Yeah, no, It's so no. loud. I have reviewed the Sandride both versions, uh, the 20 okay. and the 22, and... Actually one of uh one of the bands I play in our rehearsal spot, the owner has a, a twenty inch sand ride, so that's kind of like the rehearsal symbol. I gotcha. I like it. Well you know what's weird about it is the, the texture of the bottom side. Uh huh. Have you noticed? It's kind of like a vinyl record. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it yeah. skeeves me out. I can't I can't <laughs> touch it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so awesome. I just would love to just <laughs> I'm getting chills just gig. thinking about it. <laughs> I would love to see you at the gig, putting on your little white gloves to take your ride <laughs> off, and be like, "Sorry, I just can't touch the bottom of the sand." Right? I can't here. deal with Skeeps it. skeeves me out, dude. You know, tactile stuff is weird. I I'm I'm the same way. I have that same exact problem. Now this is getting way too personal, but I have that same problem with the bottom of pools.
1: I oh, can't yeah.
0: step on them, and so like I have to. As soon as I'm in a pool, I have to be swimming the whole time. <laughs> this is like i just i just i don't know like or if my fingernails go against the bottom of the pool oh it just Are you talking me about up. the concrete or like the tile tile stuff no the concrete like that yeah, porcelain that, yeah oh. or if like a coffee cup is made out of that coffee mug i'm just like sorry i do you have a straw I, i'll yeah. just lean in like I, <laughs> I can't touch it so it's good to know that uh the the sand ride has that for you yeah <clears throat> every time i because i feel like it's gonna like rip my finger it's just a weird
1: i get just a weird Visceral reaction. It just gives me the chills. Every time I go to like mute
0: it, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, just an awesome commercial. So, Minel, if you want to sample any of this and just use it in the promo, it's fine. Uh, okay, so let me give you my uh, <clears throat> my big kind of uh, distinction between the two. So, if we're talking about the 20 inch sand ride, first of all, I can tell you that I was. Aware of the process um, that was going on uh, after it had happened. I talked to Norbert, um, who is my rep over in Europe uh, at Meinl, about the process of Benny developing his ride, and it was so insanely meticulous. And I mean, Benny has an ear that is almost unlike anyone, where he really can hear the frequencies that are coming off of a cymbal, and he can tell you, like, you need to shave it down this many ounces because I'm getting, you know, too much... 480 hertz i mean it's like that crazy and so the 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 way that they created the sand ride was so specific and i and what i love about it is you know i think signature products should relate to the artist i don't like things like that pearl chad smith snare drum where it's like chad doesn't play this this isn't that doesn't make any sense to me so i love that benny's ride like when he plays it i can tell you this when I play his ride, it doesn't sound like when he plays his ride. Mm. And that's not only because he's amazing. It's like it's really meant for him and the way he plays. And it um, sticks. And his, exactly. Absolutely. Um, and But with his ride, it's definitely more of a ride than, than the transition ride. The transition ride is more of a ride that can crash. Uh, the sand ride is going to give you really, really good solid attack. It has a, a, I would say the bell is a little bit more clear and more pronounced on the sand ride than it is on the transition ride. Um, so the big difference is going to be a little bit in the tone. And then when you crash on the sand ride, it's going to sound like a ride symbol is getting louder. Um, So when you make the move to the transition ride, there's a couple things that happen. One, it's an inch bigger. uh, So it's a 21-inch ride. So that means it's going to move a little bit more air. So it's a little more of a breathy symbol. It also has more lathing on the bottom. So it's going to have a little more wash to it. And that's what leads to its crashability is that lathing on the bottom of the transition ride. Now, none of this can be better or worse. These are two options, and you need to know what you're getting into when you're buying a ride cymbal. So if if you're in a metal band, I can promise you my transition ride would be the worst ride you could possibly get. It's way too washy. It's not going to give you enough stick definition, and the bell isn't clear enough. My ride was made for me. So what I wanted was I wanted when I was playing on the ride, I wanted there to be some crash wash going on the whole time. Then I also wanted to be able to lay into the side of it and have it open up into kind of a crash cymbal. And then the last thing was that I wanted the bell to activate the ride cymbal. So I didn't want the bell to be like this weird Zill bell, ice bell, detached thing that when I hit the bell, it was a detached entity. I wanted the bell to actually activate the cymbal. So when I hit the bell, I could hear the entire cymbal. So most people that are looking for a really, really pronounced bell wouldn't like that. But I do like that. So. That's the main differences that I see between these two rides is the, the sand ride is going to have a little bit more ping to it. Uh, it's going to have a more pronounced bell. Visually, it's gorgeous because it's sandblasted on the top. And, and you, can, you can open it up a little bit. You definitely can. It's not like a, an extra dry ride where you can't open it up. It'll, it'll crash for you a little bit. Then when you move to the 21-inch transition ride, you're going to get a less pronounced bell you're going to get um, a little more breath and a little more kind of air in the actual um, playing of the bow of the cymbal, and then you can open it up into a full-blown 21-inch crash cymbal. So I think we should take a listen to both of them. First, we'll start off with the Meinl Byzance 20-inch Sand Ride. now the Mino Byzance 21-inch transition ride. Now I'll play them in a groove setting. I'll do four bars of each starting with the sand ride and after that moving to the transition ride playing the exact same groove.
1: OK, it's time for a pick of the week. Um, I want to start at this time. But first, before I do, I want to point out that, Amber, a couple episodes ago, I talked about the toilet chain as my pick of the week. Yeah, um, you did. Yeah. So uh, and I also mentioned that, that Johnny Radalit used dog tags to do the same yeah. effect. So in yeah. the December issue, actually, on page 71 in the gearing up feature, you can see that he's got the dog tag chain wrapped around his uh, his ride symbol. So that's there's an illustration of that if anyone was curious about it. It's a oh, smaller, yeah. it's a smaller chain. It's not like the big beaded chain. It's a smaller beaded chain, so it's a less,
0: you know, less pronounced sizzle. But just adds enough. So, that it yeah. looks like a fun setup, man.
1: Yeah, pretty crazy. 18 inch bass drum.
0: Got that big? Is that maybe one of the Vader beaters, or just yeah, a one random of those, big? Yeah, those vintage Bomber things. Yeah, that's yeah, cool, man. That Very cool. cool. And he's got like some random fruit on top of his hi hat.
1: Um, <laughs> What is
0: that? Yeah, some kind of shakers, I guess. Probably some kind of like lollipop shaker <laughs> jobby thing. I don't know what's going on there, but it's awesome. Either way, it's very cool. <laughs> there, so
1: anyway, my pick of the week this week. Uh, well, actually, it's two. I might have might have mentioned the, the Vic Firth Universal Practice Tips before. I don't remember if nope. I did or not. Okay, so no. my pick of the week is, is twofold. One, it's Vic Firth put out these these little plastic attachments to go on the tip of any drumstick. And it turns it okay. into like a a it, it makes it bounce on any surface.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I was warming up with them uh, in Ireland. Mark Juliana had them on his sticks, and we yeah. were in the backstage warming up with them. So it's the size of like two two grapes. So you can just carry them
1: around with you, or you can just put them on a pair of sticks and leave them in your stick bag. And, and that way, you don't need to carry a practice pad around with you. Um, it works pretty well. I mean, it's not it's not the the most amazing rebound and experience, but for not having to carry like a real feel if you're going on an airplane or whatever. It's a great, great option. I'm glad they, they had put out the the sticks with those things permanently attached years ago, and they were awesome. This right. year, they finally put out the tips themselves, so they, they'll fit on any stick, uh, you know, with a with a normal shaped tip. So that's one side. The other side of it is actually, uh, when I was interviewing Dom Famularo, he gave me a pair of his pad sticks. Have you seen these? I didn't even know there was such thing as a pad stick. Yeah, it's old called man. Dom's Pad Stick. And I believe it's only available on his website, but it is made by Vic Firth. Okay. And it's basically a like a a marching size, like maybe a 2B or so size stick with a big round wooden tip. Okay. Which is a, like a throwback to an old, uh, like Jim Chapin used to carry around these, these sticks with these <laughs> crazy huge tips. And that's what he used all the time. So I'm kind of weird in that. Like, I don't care what sticks I use when I'm playing drum set. It doesn't matter. Any size. I mean, within, if I'm playing jazz, I'm not going to use a 2B, but right. I really don't care. I mean, I will use anything um, on drum set. But when I'm playing on a pad, I just have to have some sort of a dedicated stick for that. Really? I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I go, I've gone through phases where it would be like the Vader concert stick or it would be the Vic Firth, uh, uh, the, whatever their concert model is. I can't remember what it's called. but um, And then now this is my thing dom's pad stick so whenever i'm on a practice pad
0: working out i'm using these so. wow man so i'm thinking of a like a weird scenario where you and i walk into a room and there's 15 sand rides turned upside down <laughs> and there's like porcelain coffee mugs everywhere and then there's like seven a's on every practice pad and you're oh, just like yeah. this is hell and i'm like i can't be in this room oh <laughs> uh, that's awesome man very cool yeah so you can check them out they're on, they're on dom's website Check them out. My pick of the week is, uh, I believe, under ten dollars. It's um, so if you guys don't know the when iPhone moved, I believe to the iPhone six, and this is definitely true also for a ton of Android phones. Well, they're they're rounded on the on the edge now, so you can't ever put them on their side. And and if you're anything like me, you use your phone a lot to film things. And so I'm always traveling, and I'm always trying to film things, and it's really hard because the iPhone won't stand up on its edge anymore. So if you go to Amazon.com and just type in iPhone tripod or smartphone tripod, no matter what kind of phone you have, for literally about $9, you will find a ton of different tripods. A lot of them even come with a free uh, Bluetooth device that will allow you to press start and stop. Um, from wherever you are, so that 's really cool, yeah, cool. but it 's so simple. Um, I know you can 't see, but I can show it to Mike, um, but it 's just a little tripod, and you just put your phone and it and this is not for an iphone specifically it 's for any smartphone, but it makes it so easy if i 'm at you know say i 'm at the airport and I have this great idea, and I want to share it on instagram real quick i this thing is in my backpack, it takes up no room whatsoever, and then I get to the hotel room and I want to Kind of, you know, maybe Periscope, some some warm ups. It's it's just there. So if you if you use your smartphone to film yourself a lot, definitely just go to Amazon and just type in uh, smartphone tripod, and for under ten bucks, there'll be something at your door tomorrow. Great, boom. Well, we are going to get on some planes. So I am headed to uh, Spain then to Portugal, then to Scotland, then to London, and you are headed to one of the biggest drum events in the world, which is PASIC 2015. San Antonio, baby. I look forward to talking to you from some random hotel room.
1: (laughs) First before. (laughs)
0: All right, guys, have a great day. We will see you next time. Later.